A special thank you to Alexander Buckner. The global pandemic has hit our day jobs hard. This is now our full-time jobs. If you want great content and can afford a few extra bucks, consider becoming a Southpaw supporter on Patreon. If you want to show everyone else your solidarity, we now have an online store full of Southpaw swag. You can find links to both our store and our Patreon at southpawpod.com. When it comes to left media, we cannot exist without your support. This is Sam. This is Punch-Up. And this is Southpaw. Today on Southpaw, we have L, a representative of the Birmingham Red Gym, Punch-Up. Hi. Hey. Let's first start with, how did Punch-Up come to being? Well, I just thought I'd start off also by saying um, that I'm just one of many people in Punch-Up. And so I'm speaking for myself at the moment. I don't ne- we're not necessarily speaking for the organization as a whole. Just thought it'd be important to communicate that because then I can talk more freely. So yeah, Punch-Up has been going for about a year and a half. And there's actually quite an interesting story to how it began as well. Um, Basically, quite a few of the founding members were on a demonstration down in London um, as part of the feminist anti-fascist assembly. Um, And there was a demonstration or an action against uh, a counter-protest, so to speak. Um, against the DFLA, which uh, stands for Democratic Football Lads Alliance, which was a kind of splinter group of a kind of potentially right uh, football hooligan uh, organisation that did some big demos down in London. Um, And then they had various splinters within their own uh, movement and eventually got down to this demonstration where it is pretty much the sort of hardcore far-right and fascist uh, football hooligan contingent. Um, So it was a decision by people to oppose that and especially um, as a feminist anti-fascist bloc. Um, So we kind of went down to this from Birmingham and... um, basically it was very well organized all this kind of thing we were like marching along in our in our block um and we managed to block the fascist march um this is kind of in central london and uh we were kind of in a bit of a standoff where it's like our block of like anti-fascists them on the other side and like two thin lines of police in the middle and uh yeah all of a sudden you know there's they're throwing stuff at us, like shouting at us uh, and all this kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, they managed to break through the police line. And they're about like, you know, 20, 30 meters down the street. Um, and I was like right on the front of this of this uh, block. And I could just see this like line of like 20 to 30, like big dudes running towards us. And um, I was just had this realization where I was like, this is it. Like, you know, we, we'd come there as, as a kind of uh, protest thing. We're like, you know, uh, peaceful protest, all this kind of stuff, um, just to block them and, and show that it, they weren't welcome. But they're, they're like running towards us here. Behind me is all of my friends and various, other, you know, 
thousands other people who like might not necessarily be able to like do anything in this situation and I was just like oh my god this is it I've just got to go for it I don't know what to do and so I was like oh my god right okay need to be ready and then just as they get within about like 10-15 meters of us this like line of policed horses just charges from like the right hand side and crashes into them and they just sort of get into a bit of a get a bit fucked up by all these police horses and I was just like heaving a sigh of relief and did the police show up there kind of coincidentally as they were running towards y'all or was it because they were coming at you? Yeah, they were, I must not have seen the horses or something because I don't really remember them being that many horses before uh, before it happened. So they must have been off to the side or something like this. But yeah, I just remember really feeling that like, yeah, fuck, this is it. There's nothing nothing to be done in this situation. You just have to try and defend yourself and defend others. The block that went to London were you all part of a pre-existing political action organization or was it all just different activists who were like, oh, let's go there as a group together? Yeah, it was a wide range of people, various like anti-fascist, anti-racist and feminist uh, activists in Birmingham. Um, and there was lots of different groups coming from all around the country. Uh, it was actually a very, very successful mobilization. And, it, and, and after this, and hopefully as a consequence of this mobilization, there were very few further um street demonstrations by by this uh, group so how did that lead to punch up yeah it's actually a really interesting story because i have not done any sports since i was forced to at school and there's various reasons for this which maybe we can go into but um yeah essentially I, I had no idea. There's lucky there's other people in our group that were already training in martial arts and already had many years of, of training in sort of various like combat sports. Um, but yeah, I basically had had no idea. So it was all totally new to me. Who decided or how did it become decided upon that, hey, let's start a gym and start training? Yeah, we, we had been like following the sort of uh, sort of leftist sports movement for quite a while. So we knew about the existence of other red gyms. Um, we hadn't really come into contact um, with them so much, but a few people, had, maybe like one person had been to another event that they'd organized and had been really impressed by how well organized it is and how people treat each other and the level of the uh, the level of fighters that were competing. Um, so we we're basically seeking to replicate existing models. Um, and then also there is like, a lot more infrastructure of this kind in uh, Europe as well, like Germany, Italy, France, Spain. There's, there's already a lot of existing uh, gyms. So those of you who went to the protest, that became kind of the core founding block of Punch Up? Yeah, basically, <laughs> plus some extra people. And there happened to be some people coincidentally who had already been training at that point. Yeah, we had we had a few people who had some quite extensive boxing and Muay Thai experience. So we, we kind of already had the existing sort of core trainers in, in place, which was super helpful. Um, so we didn't really have to look around very much to get started. And yeah, I think we probably got started a few months after that. I mean, we, it had been on our minds beforehand. Um, and, you know, we're, and lots of people are very into sports as like a community, a space for community organizing. So, um, yeah, it was on our minds, but we just needed a little, a little reminder of why it's important. I mean, that's only one aspect to it as well. Yeah, it is interesting that in activist circles, there's probably always martial artists around. Not that everybody's a martial artist, but probably some, because 
there's just some martial artists around everywhere, right? People train and they go to work or they hang out, they do stuff, they exist in society. It's just interesting that they haven't been fully utilized yet. And it seems like now they're starting to get utilized more. Yeah, I find that really interesting as well. It's it's kind of very strange. Yeah, there's certain, I don't know, it seems there's, at least in my so very limited social circle, it seems there's like quite a proliferation of um, people that do martial arts already. And but there's also quite proliferation of people who are not engaged in any sort of sports uh, at all. Maybe, for example, maybe they're cycling, but that's just more for transport rather than any sort of recreational activity. So let's go to the name Punch Up. What is the significance of that name? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> we all know the difficulties of uh, democratically coming up with names for things. Um, so yeah, we had a long discussion and we were kind of brainstorming loads of different names and it seems in the UK, there seems to be a bit of a, uh, a bit of a trend of like trying to come up with like little puns to, to name your gym <laughs> after. So you've got like left hook, you know, uh, there was one called street edge, like all this sort of stuff. Um, you got Southpaw us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Southpaw. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we basically, you know, set off on that journey to, to find a, a, a cheap throwaway pun. Um, and this was the one we, we settled on. Um, uh, the good story about it as well, I can talk more about what it means in a second, but the interesting story about it is it turns out um, there's actually another gym in Bristol that is also <laughs> called Punch Up. Um, you might have found out about that already. Um, and I think their their full name is uh, Punch Up for the People or FTP. Um, but we, when we spoke to them about it, we 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 basically just agreed, yeah, we, let's not change anything. We're, <laughs> we're, we're far enough away that it doesn't really matter. Um and, you know, I, I'm proud to be associated with their gym, to be honest. It is a weird thing where once you want to start a gym or do something sportive and you are left, your mind instantly goes to puns and wordplay. Like even with Southpaw, there was <laughs> two other leftist podcasts out there with a similar name. Not exactly that. They were called Southpaws and Southpaws Podcast. But once I created the name, actually one of them realized that another Southpaw podcast had come to existence and sent me a message saying, welcome to the club. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like when you think of sports, you think of left, you want to combine them all in a witty way, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe people who are into sports and left politics have very corny senses of humor. So yeah, I've also often laughed at the, well, a common joke is like when we're talking about other gyms that are maybe not uh, coming from a sort of leftist perspective is like the sort of patterns of names that they use so for example maybe something you could discuss on another show um mma gyms that have these very like very strange names that are like one word but they're like you know something that's like aggressive and like you know kind of it always really makes me laugh yeah often they might use ideas from social darwinism or some of the new race science stuff that's coming back and they might not even realize it right yeah but it's always like natural this or evolution that you know yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's definitely something there the aesthetics of uh mma so let's go back to punching up because it's not just a pun but it's a political analysis right and it's something that differentiates i would say the left from more center left or in the u.s liberal democracy because there isn't as much of a analysis of power so can you explain to us what is punching up and why punching down is not good and why avoiding punching down is such an integral part of left politics and even what y'all are doing. Yeah, well, I think essentially 
what we're talking about is recognizing our society is organized into two classes, right? So um, there's us, right? We're the poor people. We don't own the means of production. We don't have the resources. And then there's the other class, which are the rich people. Um, you might hear it referred to as like the 99% and the 1%, all this sort of stuff. But essentially, what we're talking about is uh, recognizing what the actual structure of society is and not just what we're told it is like very materially we can see that there is this huge gap between like one group of people and another group of people and so one of the common tactics you know one group of people has all the resources all the power and they don't want to share them um, in order to maintain their own power so one of the reasons when we're talking about punching up is we're talking about we recognizing ourselves as working class people i.e., people that don't own the means of production who are poor um and that therefore there is this other class that has all the resources then and we think we should be entitled to those as well um but essentially what we're saying is there's uh one of the common tactics of the ruling class is to divide people um, who are poor like in various different ways whether it be like race gender or just like where you work what you do what your culture is what your religion is all this sort of stuff and what we're saying is we need to stop fighting amongst ourselves we need to stop like say uh you know punching down at the people that are below us at the migrant that has come you know over and has nothing you know we've got much more in common with people that are in the same class as us than we do to all these rich people so yeah, it's kind of a kind of an exercise of of knowing who your opponent is, right? If we put it into martial arts term, it, you know, one of the things about martial arts uh, in a lot of competition, it's like very clear who your opponent is. But I feel like in wider society, maybe it's not so clear to people. And a lot of it is also about solidarity, right? Yeah. So what what we're interested in fundamentally is working class self organization. Uh, whether that be in unions, whether that be in like political organizations, educational structures, care structures, um, basically what we're interested in doing in general, and I'm speaking myself, I'm hoping I'm not uh, speaking to others too much, is just to build up a kind of social fabric that we feel is lacking in society. Um, basically, like lots of democratic institutions for people to, uh, you know, uh, just live a better life, really. And in a broader sense, punching up can also mean, like you said, about migrants, but also heterosexuals not punching down at people who are not hetero or cisgender people not punching down at people who are not cisgendered or white people not punching down at people who are not white. So it has a lot of components. Yeah, it's just a question of knowing who your enemy is and again there's a really good quote i've been seeing quite a lot over the past like couple of years which is like um you know the enemy does not arrive by boat like he arrives by limousine which <laughs> i think is a really interesting <laughs> uh quote um and yeah i don't know i think people have uh, you know they find their lives you know very very difficult and you know they can't pay the rent uh, might have problems with healthcare, might have problems at work, all this sort of stuff. And people are just wondering why. And it's so easy for reactionary elements to offer like a very simple solution. Yeah, uh, especially right now with COVID-19 and the pandemic, I see people who normally don't seem as reactionary or far right saying or sharing articles that are very, very far right because they're looking for something simple to blame. One thing I'm seeing here in Los Angeles is people blaming the homeless for a lot of these issues. And it's like, 
what the fuck does the homeless got to do with this? If anything, they're the most vulnerable, but they're looking for somebody to blame. Yeah, and I think it ties into the idea of a martial arts gym as well, a bit like fear is like a particularly uh, kind of difficult emotion to deal with. And people, you know, when people are scared and when people are anxious, they're very easy to manipulate. I think this seems like very clear to me. Um, and I don't know, maybe there's something about doing, uh, you know, doing Muay Thai or boxing or jiu-jitsu or something where you're like kind of learning to overcome fear a bit. And to your earlier point about in martial arts, it's so clear who your opponent is. I was talking to somebody who kept blaming the homeless. And I said, not only is that class prejudice and just stupid and fucked up, but it's irresponsible and dangerous. And I had to tell him like, look, I've been doing martial arts for fucking close to 40 years now. I've not only trained people in self-defense, but also have looked at a lot of data. I was trying to explain to him that not only is that prejudice, but it's so inaccurate that it'll make people focus on the wrong threat. That happens a lot in self-defense scenarios where an instructor uses their personal bias, or maybe in this case, their disgust to show or train in certain scenarios that are very unlikely, which will literally get their students killed and has gotten their students killed. So for instance, with homeless, that also comes up in martial arts and self-defense. Like this is what happens if a homeless person comes up to you. These are the scenarios. This is how you need to protect yourself. When most likely homeless people will be victims of violence. And not only that, if you are victimized by violence, it will be by somebody you know, not some homeless person. They don't even have names for that type of like crime, right? <laughs> yeah. We have premeditated murder. We have crimes of passion. There is no amount of murder that happens from homeless people killing you. That is so great that they need to even categorize it. You know what I mean? So I was telling this person that if you were in charge of something, you were an instructor or you were a government official, the type of shit that you're saying is so dangerous and irresponsible, it will get people killed because it's also very inaccurate and you'll steal people's energy and focus it on something that is not that dangerous at all. And if anything, it will increase the violence against the homeless. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Is victim blaming and also then you're not only blaming them, but you're increasing their risk for being attacked. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's probably more likely is someone will ask you for some money and then you'll probably have a nice chat. And that's like 99.99% of the time, basically. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really big problem. And it's something we've discussed in our gym as well, because, um, you know, we're not a self-defense gym. We, we like, yeah, okay, like learning boxing or Muay Thai or something is can be very useful if you find yourself in a situation where you need to defend yourself or others. But um, I don't, for me personally, I don't really think of it as a something to build like a, a kind of martial arts practice around. It's something to be constantly aware of. Like, yeah, this is more for competition. This is more for sports. And this is probably like something that's not allowed in sports, but like could be done from this position. But basically, I, I don't think we should rely, uh, you know, for our safety, just going about our lives, shouldn't rely on like people knowing how to poke someone else in the eye. <laughs> I hope there are other structures in place that, um, you know, allow us to feel and be safe. You know, I, I don't think like having all these individuals that are like really good at fighting and really good at applying like violence is, is necessarily the way that we keep safe. That already says that if that's the only way we can keep safe, we're already living in that movie Mad Max. It's saying that we're already living in this post-apocalyptic dystopian world. And maybe for some people it is dystopian, but we still have a chance and opportunity to provide people with more safety nets than that. 
Yeah, totally. So now let's talk about Punch Up and the athletic community action Birmingham. So yeah, we essentially uh, set up to just do martial arts, um, but it kind of soon became apparent that we wanted to branch out a bit more than that. And yeah, it kind of that kind of fell at a timing that wasn't so good. So obviously, like the winter and the weather and stuff, and now this pandemic. So we're a little bit behind on our plans for this. But essentially, like we don't want to, you know, martial arts is not for everyone. Like a lot of people come to our sessions and they try it out for a couple of things, and it's just it's just not really like for them. They just don't really enjoy it so much. And on the other hand, there's some people who are just like, oh my god, this is the best thing. I never thought I'd be into this. This is really fun. But um, yeah, I think it's not for everyone. And like there there should be something for everyone as well and i do think like sports and physical activity there's all there's usually something for everyone you know um when i went to france last year i was particularly noticed how popular like boule is amongst the older people you know people are playing it in their 80s like you know basically until they until they pass on and it, it you know because it's such a low intensity sport but i'm i'm going to be doing that stuff when i'm 80 <laughs> so then punch up informally started first and then athletic community action birmingham started afterwards yeah and it was basically just the idea of like again punch up is quite a strong name and uh you know it's only really appropriate for a sort of combat sports gym so we were kind of thinking about other activities that we could do so we had already done some informal like football games as well like in some local parks um and we also wanted to do perhaps like walking and hiking, like to just get out of the city. And, you know, it's something that's sometimes really hard to do when you're in one of these big like urban metropolises. But like, yeah, just get out into the countryside and go walking. Um, there's also a lot of people who are really into climbing as well. So there was some talk of uh, getting a group together and uh, going to like a local climbing center. So at this point, then the athletic community action is the umbrella and punch up is one aspect of that. Yeah, I guess the kind of the kind of dream would be that there would be several sort of cooperative collectives um, doing all sorts of different activities and people can just pick which ones they want to go to. And because obviously it's quite hard to make decisions in like a massive group that you could just have uh, each group making its own decisions about its own um, activity. And then you could somehow feed together in a kind of federated fashion to into a larger organization that could perhaps be used to like, you know, sort of take care of the admin and look after the money and apply for funding and all this sort of stuff. So that's what you meant earlier about how self-defense or combat sports or martial arts training is one aspect, but there's all these other aspects. Yeah. And it's kind of the same for me as well. I mean, I, I, I really love training martial arts and it's one of my, and it's, you know, it's my, one of my favorite things to do these days, but, um, you know, sometimes I want, want to do something different. So there's a lot of folks who come to the athletic community action and they're just doing other stuff. They're doing fitness stuff. Yeah, a lot of it is kind of future plans as well. So we've only been going for a year and a half. So um, I think a lot of this a lot of this stuff was happening informally before, but um, that's not always easy for like outsiders to access um, if it's just around, you know, a, like a private like group of friends. So we'd like to open some of that stuff up, really. Um, we had a sort of what we were calling the Queer Feminist Football Club as well and and like uh, kind of like martial arts as well like football is another sport that has like a heavy gender bias and it's getting a lot better these days but yeah basically for example in schools in the UK sometimes uh you know all the uh 
girls and the boys would do like different sports in their curriculum. So like the boys would do like rugby and the girls would do like netball or like the boys would do basketball and the girls would do netball. And it's, it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and I think it's got a lot better these days, but um, I know my experience of, of uh, sort of what they call physical education in school was very, very alienating. Now, did you and maybe some of the other core group that started this have organizing experience before? Yeah, I mean, many of us, you know, there's quite a wide uh, diversity of people in the group and they have all sorts of different backgrounds. But yeah, some of the key uh, members of the group kind of came out of uh, sort of feminist organizing in the city, uh, like the Women's Strike uh, Committee, uh, Acorn Renters Union as well, uh, IWW Union, um, yeah, basically a lot of different sort of union activities, a lot of different cooperatives like worker and housing cooperatives. Um, and yeah, just people who are generally interested in community organizing, basically. So what is the process of starting a red gym or just an athletic community action to begin with? Well, I, I think just do it. Um, it's <laughs> so easy. <laughs> oh, wait, damn. Trademark. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, I would say you need some expertise in the sort of sports that you want to do, right? So you need like some people who've had some formal training, if not just to, to kind of ensure that everything is done like kind of safely and have a bit, a bit of a way for people to progress. But um, yeah, essentially, you just need to get some people together. Um, and you could, uh, that could be like a group of friends, or it could be people that you're involved with in, in another thing. And basically, just kind of choose what you're interested in. And I, I think the only way to learn how to do it is to, you know, get to it, really. It could be as simple as getting some friends together to play football. Sounds like then the important thing that you need before you start all this is already pre-existing solidarity or a group of friends or already being involved in community action or organizing. Because then you already have some group of people who are like-minded that you could bring together for something like this. Whereas... <laughs> If you're completely alone and you're just always at your house, never meeting or seeing anybody, but you have very left politics and you are interested in athletics, but you don't know anybody, then it becomes harder. Ultimately, I'm kind of answering my own question, right? Why solidarity and community work has always been so important for the left, even though a lot of us suffer from depression or feel awkward being around other people, our strength comes from each other. So. Maybe that's the first step before starting something like this is going out and meeting people and being involved in stuff. And then you can start something like this. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I can only really talk for myself to a certain extent. But yeah, I just I can't believe that I am where I am now, really, after getting involved with this gym. Um, I was actually signed up to do a, a, a Muay Thai fight in the last interclub. Uh, no elbows, though, I must say. Um, and uh, yeah, it didn't actually happen because my opponent couldn't make it to the to the event in the end. Um, but I just can't believe that. It's, I've been training for like a year and a half. And yeah, before that, I just had no conception of, of uh, this sort of thing. And I, it turned out there was something that I really, really liked. Again, it's just like, it just makes you feel so good, you know, and it turns out you actually kind of like getting hit in the face. <laughs> um, <laughs> as long as you can hit people back, you know. Um, I think there's a difference and we got to differentiate this. You don't like getting hit in the face when it's bullied or it's oppressive, but that is a different universe from consensual sparring like this, right? Yeah. And I thought you wrote a really good article about consent and martial arts as well. 
Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, I just really seem to just really enjoy putting on like very short shorts and kind of kicking my friends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, it's kind of, it, yeah, it's kind of incre- incredible. And yeah, I, I also suffer from uh, anxiety and depression and I'm also uh, have ADHD as well. So like just having like some sort of outlet that I can like reliably turn to, to just get some, you know, to just get some like, Uh, aggression and stuff out of your system in a constructive way is just incredible like obviously at the moment um many of us are like trapped uh (laughs) indoors because of the pandemic well one thing i've been making sure to do every day is just get out and do some shadow boxing i've got a heavy bag hanging in my garden but you don't necessarily need that but it's just like absolutely vital and you you know you don't really have to have any skill to do this sort of thing you know you can learn like a, a jab cross and then just like work that for you know five minutes ten minutes however long so you went from somebody that didn't like athletics at all to signing up for a Muay Thai fight. Yep, basically. <laughs> um, I mean, I still haven't had that fight, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, I've got a feeling I might might uh, really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, and just I've I've also just noticed so many other things as well. It just makes me a lot calmer in general as well. A lot less uh when there's a stressful situation i feel a lot more in control it just almost it almost affects like really weird stuff that you don't expect like the way you stand you know kind of like you know and now like i feel like i'm standing in a different way just because of all this training i've been doing and kind of the way you move around and interact with the world and i don't know just like there's a really interesting aspect where you I don't know, you just feel more present in your body. And I've spoke to a lot of other people about this as well. And I think especially for uh, sort of uh, gender variant, gender non-conforming people as well, there's a certain like disconnection people have with their bodies. And this is the same for everyone as well. I think everyone can relate to this. But I think like there's something really nice about uh, sort of some of the athletics that activities and martial arts in particular where you just kind of learn more about your body and what it can do what it can't do and obviously that changes over time and you just learn to kind of like you know understand your body and enjoy it and how to use it effectively for certain things i think most of us are suffering from what a friend of mine calls body alienation where like you said it's this disconnect where your body is something alien to you and something like this, sports, but I think especially with martial arts, because it requires you to move in so many different planes of motion and modalities, that it really embodies you. It reconnects you and your body becomes no longer alien. It's not your body. You are the body, right? This all just becomes one thing. It's always a process. Maybe you get disconnected again, but whenever you train, you're reprocessing and you're going back to that place again. And I think especially for what you just said, non-gender conforming, or even if you're just somebody who's been bullied or you're a woman or anything where you aren't at the top of the dominance hierarchy, there's something about martial arts, even in combat sports, where everybody's wearing the same thing and it's very genderless. And we all just become like this weird amorphous group where we're no longer Bob, we're no longer this, we're no longer that. We're just martial artists. We're just fighters or we're just comrades. We're just gym mates. We become something different that only exists in the gym. And it's like a safe space where we can escape into that, into that kind of weird, you know, Star Trek luxury space communism, you know, where it's like, (laughs) we're all part of the Federation now. You know what I mean? And then once you leave that, it's almost like a post-modernist or post-structuralist space in a way, or it can be if you don't have all these tyrants in charge, but it can be that. And then when you go back, right, go back to the real world, 
you're going back to the normal rules, but martial arts and this type of training and gym is your chance not to be that and kind of see what the future can be. Because right now, right, identity is important because then we have to to acknowledge people's identities, to acknowledge how they suffer. But it's almost like the gym and martial arts in a way gives us a glimpse of what we're headed for, where maybe one day, you know, what people say, like they're using it right now in a reactionary way, but maybe one day it is possible where it's like, you're not this, you're not that race, you're not that gender. We're all just people. Yeah, there's no <laughs> there's no time to uh to sort of like have have those kind of like dividing thoughts when someone's like picking you apart with their like roundhouse kick. <laughs> but um I think there's something, yeah, and I hate to be that person who's just applying some like leftist ideas to everything. But you were talking about the body alienation as well. And you know, I like just off the top of my head, I would almost when the first thing I thought of when you said that was like work and how uh you know we in general we either have to work whether that's like in a sort of like in exchange for money like in a paid job or our care responsibilities to you know our family our friends or our community or whatnot and there's something about you know our body is not really our own when we're carrying out this stuff you know to say like in your job um your body is just a tool for like other people at that point you know that's why they that's why they need you you know, that's why they're giving you money, basically. And I don't know, there's something about um, when the body is just for something that you're doing yourself, you know, like, I don't know, there's a lot of talking martial arts about like self improvement. And I think even, you know, much as I'm into like social improvement on the society as a whole, I also think self improvement is a good goal as well, like, especially on the in regards to like physical stuff. Yeah. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, as far as the difference between non-consensual violence versus consensual mutual combat, right? Even though it looks the same, it's worlds apart and very different. And the same thing with work, what you were talking about with work and alienation. Let's say for work, I have to wear a certain uniform. So we're all wearing the same uniform. We become this amorphous working automaton. We become this cog. And in that way, that's not what we want. But let's say you go to judo and we all wear the same white geese, the same white uniforms. That's voluntary. That's consensual. So in the same way as punching and being punched is different if you're being assaulted on the street versus sparring, the same way when you wear something and we all look the same, when you're choosing to do that in a martial arts setting is very different from the lack of choice you have where you have to wear something like that at work. And even people who are leftists who might not engage in these activities, they might use arguments about why this is always reactionary or it's bad, but they themselves are falling into the trap of not recognizing and acknowledging the consent aspect of this. And consent is ultimately what a huge part of left politics is about, it's consent and autonomy. Yeah, and also play as well. Like I'd also like to introduce the idea of like play as well. <laughs> and having and martial fun. arts is play. Yeah, having fun. Um yeah, once we had a really good uh, capoeira uh, teacher to lead a session at one of our things, and she, she was just passing through, um, visiting friends and whatnot. Um, and it, I thought it was really interesting in in that discipline. They refer to it, uh, to refer to the sort of sparring aspect of it as play, and you, that's kind of replicated in lots of other martial arts as well. But yeah, I think that's really stuck with me, and just like describing the training process and the kind of social process of it as play and like playing. And that's another aspect that leftists need to do more of is playing and having fun and giving themselves permission to play and have fun. And to your point earlier, to also self-improve. These are all okay. No more meetings. Okay, maybe some <laughs> meetings, but also fun.
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have the meetings, read the theory, do some serious stuff, do some serious organizing. But also, I don't know what the percentage split is, but you also do have to have fun. Otherwise, there's going to be no solidarity. There's going to be no camaraderie. Yeah. And then also you have to ask yourself about who is able to have fun as well, because it's not, you know, there's also the question of like the privilege of having fun as well. And, you know, like, for example, like I'm sure rich people have lots of fun. Um, <laughs> and it's sometimes it's not always possible for working class people to engage in fun because of all these various life responsibilities we have. So part of the uh, aim of the gym really is is to create that space for fun and play and uh, like yeah just like exercise and all the all these kinds of things and you also have to look within your organization or your gym itself and ask the questions about who is it for um, and maybe there's a gap between who it, you you think it's for and who is actually showing up as well so yeah one of the things in our gym that we're like very very conscious of and also one of the things that's put me off from training at uh, other mainstream gyms is stuff like the gender balance like the racial balance in the group and in in our cooperative this these are things that we like l really need to be keeping an eye on as we go forward you know for example that i've been to some like really good gyms that are really friendly and they seem really nice but then there's like you know like uh, the the gender ratio is like one in ten you know uh, or sometimes even less than that there'll be classes of 30 people and there's there's no sort of uh visibly like non-men there so access i think access is important uh, what you said who is this for but also yeah a lot of people who are suffering or in a much more vulnerable position in society maybe they don't have room for fun at all right so then that should be a leftist project to create space and room for people and give them access to have fun because it didn't exist before so if it didn't exist before then the left should be the ones creating it and so i think there isn't enough focus and emphasis on the projects that are about creating these types of spaces yeah and i think there's also a really interesting uh, points we made about uh, just the the money it costs to to train martial arts as well. Um, I'm not sure how it is uh, in North America, but and I guess it depends where you live. But in the UK, there tends to be a kind of standard sort of monthly gym price of about fifty pounds a month. And what we found is that is like super unaffordable. I know that's that's unaffordable for me um, as someone who lives on uh, benefits or, or welfare, as it's called. Um, and yeah, essentially just m creating some sort of structure that isn't uh, like a gym structure that isn't just based on like making as, uh, it, you know, enough money to, to hire people and stuff like this kind of sliding scale aspect is kind of what we've gone for. So um, we do a session every week, every Sunday, and uh, there's a recommended um, sort of uh, payment of four pounds. Um, some people pay monthly and they pay like a bit more they pay yearly and this sort of thing but just in general people tend to just bring cash along and um one thing we've struggled with is just making it very clear to people who can't afford the four pounds a session which is a lot of people um that they don't have to but there's a really hard balance to be struck there between like we need money to buy equipment and to rent the space but we also need to really impress on people that it's not you shouldn't be ashamed that you're poor you know you shouldn't be ashamed that you, you know that this this seemingly small amount is really difficult for you to do and that's a really hard thing that that, that i know i've definitely struggled to get across to people so it's more of a suggested donation yeah, and basically, you know, the people who can afford it, perhaps they have like a job and whatnot, can can pay a little bit more if they want. 
um, and they can subsidize other people. And, you know, quite a lot of community spaces out there are like relatively cheap to hire as well. So um, I don't know how it is for other people, but we've we've certainly found that we can make it work sustainably and and still have like a considerable uh, amount of people. For example, I think I, we are kind of agreeing now that our space has a capacity of about 20 people um in training and yeah we only really need about 10 people to pay four pounds in order to make it affordable a note to our loyal listeners if you love the show please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining team southpaw on patreon by becoming a member you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles fight previews bonus episodes transcripts of fight studies and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you will help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. So were all the trainers then from that original core group and just friends who knew some stuff? Yeah, I think um, we had like an initial sort of uh, group of people that had been training martial arts for a significant time. And that sort of gap between someone who's been training for like, you know, three, four, over three, four years or something like that. And someone who's never thrown a punch in their life is like in- incredibly huge. But it is definitely... Um, one area in which we're looking to build bridges with other organizations and other gyms and whatnot is you know um we're looking for like more trainers um to increase and some people have left you know through benign reasons and so we're always on the lookout for new people to train and also sometimes if they're people who have their own communities as well how uh putting them in a position of you know being a trainer in the gym can also be like uh, a really nice way of getting uh, people from different communities to come so for example we're in discussions with a friend of ours who's uh, Kurdish and he's like a sort of pro boxer like semi-pro boxer and yeah he, he was saying about how he would really love to lead a few classes at ours and we're like yes please we do more Thai our boxing is like okay but you know it's a different level you know also with the athletic community action, then that's something you all are trying to grow where you're looking for coaches or people who can put together some non-combative sports type activities. Yeah, for sure. And obviously some of these require like a bit less preparation, but there's definitely a need for like someone to take a bit of a lead in organizing it. If not in just like collecting when do we want to meet? What time do we want to meet? Like this sort of thing. Um, and also making sure that anyone who's interested in doing the thing is is given the right information they need to get started and all this sort of stuff. Now, how did you all get the word out? Um, so we have mostly operated through word of mouth, um, but that has like served us well so far. We've never really had, uh, you know, a lack of people wanting to sign up. Um, we've also put out flyers in, in, a, in some cafes and whatnot in the, in the city centre um, but yeah, generally just word of mouth has served us really well. Um, we also have, uh, well, since we put the flyers out, we've also had people come t- contacting us as well. But we have got this quite interesting system where if someone's interested in coming along to the gym, they're not like open sessions, so you can't just turn up. Um, we like to meet with people beforehand. 
Um, and there's there's many reasons for this, but basically we just want to tell them about what the gym is, what they should expect, and what they you know what it's not as well. So, for example, if there's like uh, you know sort of like intermediate to advanced uh, fighters, then currently we don't really offer like the level of expertise that you might find at like an other gym. We're more aimed at like bringing new people uh, into the into the various sports and whatnot. So, so yeah, basically we like to. Li- meet with people and talk to them about the history of the gym, how we get started. We like to go over the code of conduct for how with the standards of behavior we expect to treat each other with when when we're there. And it also means that when they come to the session, they already know a couple of people as well, which is probably the most important uh, aspect of it. Um, and so they're not coming into a room with with just like a random group of people that they've never met before. And I think this is really important because, you know, I'm sure um, you can maybe remember what it was like to do that, you know, when you walk into a gym for the first time and it's just, a, you know, loads of people, you've never met them before and you've got this quite high pressure situation. And yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I know I still find it terrifying to this day and I've, I've been training for, you know, a year and a half now. Yeah. And they will stare at you. It's not imagined. They all kind of look at the new person coming in, kind of like almost like, fresh meat maybe <laughs> yeah some people are like oh new person cool so new friend but some people are also looking at you like your fresh meat and then because some people are legitimately looking at you like that it looks like everybody's looking at you like that because everybody will look at you yeah i recently started brazilian jiu-jitsu as well and i definitely felt like that <laughs> and, <laughs> and and we were practicing a particular position and we we're doing some rolling kind of like swapping partners and whatnot and um <laughs> And like, obviously, I might look like I've kind of done some martial arts before, you know, we do clinching in Muay Thai, and this sort of thing. And I've done some like informal sort of rolling with with friends and whatnot. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I like tapped out just to the pressure, you know, very common for new people as well. And and the the um, my partner was just like, Oh, sorry, did you tap out? I did. Sorry, I didn't realize I didn't catch that. Because it was like, you know, they were putting a lot of like top pressure on and whatnot. And I was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, you know, kind of had this situation where they were like, oh, I'm really sorry. Especially with an art like that, because uh, it is so much about this invisible pressure. You don't even realize how much pressure you're always putting on people. You walk in for the first time and you're rolling. Yeah, it feels like just like a ton of weight on top of you when somebody's passing your guard or doing some other type of Brazilian jiu-jitsu move. But to the person applying it, they don't necessarily recognize that because they forgot what it used to feel like. Yeah, it's incredible. And these like micro adjustments that you learn as well, they can make like all the difference. And the other the other thing that um my partner like pointed out as well, like a different partner was was that, that like um he said to me, Oh, you know it's meant to be a fight, right? Because um obviously when you're sparring in Muay Thai, um, you know, just casually uh, maybe working on a specific technique or something, you're going like very light and very controlled. Whereas like with something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you're grappling, you, you can put this extra uh, force into it. And I was just like uh, rolling as if I was sparring Muay Thai. <laughs> so, so he was just like, yeah, you know, you can you, you can go a bit harder than that. Like uh, this sort of thing, which is actually a really interesting question. And something we've struggled with in our gym as well is, is basically uh, teaching grappling as well is something that we've really struggled with. Partially, that's because we we don't have all the mats in the world at the moment, so um, it would have to be like relatively small uh, parts of the group. You know, maybe like a splitting the session in half. But there's also um, we've also struggled to do clinching in Muay Thai as well because I don't know. It's 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 a very big leap 
um, from just doing pads work to kind of wrestling, basically. And um, yeah, it's something we've really struggled with because, you know, it's not always easy for someone to come into, even if it's someone they know well and they trust, you know, it's it's very hard to that sort of very close physical contact. It can it can bring up a lot of traumas for people. And and yeah, we haven't really found the best way to work around though, that for now. Well, I'm preparing a lot of episodes about all those questions that y'all have. So maybe once those come out, that'll help you out a lot. And I think uh, also listening to some of the previous episodes with established gyms who've been around for longer, uh, I think they've also figured out ways to work around that and to be trauma-informed. And that's why I'm interviewing Punch Up, because the goal is to look at different gyms that are anti-fascist, anti-racist, and seeing all the different ways that they're doing it, but also comparing the gyms that have been around for a while versus the newer gyms and so forth. So we could so we could all learn from each other, but also for people who are on the outside who are just thinking about this, then looking at an established gym might be very intimidating, but then looking at your gym and how it's just starting, it's like, okay, those steps that they all took, we could start doing that also. Yeah. And obviously gyms like a necessarily a physical place as well. So it's kind of, it is quite difficult to connect with other gyms because necessarily you're based in like one specific area and whatnot and so yeah it already has been really super valuable to meet people from other gyms as well and uh, i'm sure that's something that will continue happening but then there's a whole other level of it like for example like listening to the episode about haymaker um and just connecting with gyms on an international basis it's just kind of amazing really i can't wait to make more connections like that yeah, it's become uh, interesting because in a way, Southpaw has become a default homing beacon. So all these different gyms from across the world are starting to contact me or join our Facebook group and interact with each other. So it's, it's really interesting to see. But also, it gives me a lot of encouragement in that when I started this, and I'm sure each gym probably thought, how many people can be interested in this stuff? And then day by day, week by week, episode by episode, we're learning that there's a lot more of us than we thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. So I know everything is shut down with the pandemic, but prior to that, what was the response to Punch Up? Were a lot of people excited like, oh, I was looking for something like this? Yeah, we've definitely had that. We've It's been like a great catalyst for bringing people in Birmingham together as well. Um, like I've made like many good friends as part of this gym because because I've been in it involved since the beginning. It's quite a long time. So for the people that are still here from the start, I've become like very, very close friends with them. And there's also just new, interesting new people showing up all the time. Yeah, and some of the people who've showed up to the gym have, have been, you know, sort of visiting Birmingham from different countries. They're staying here only for a short time. Um, we've had some really interesting people show up from Germany, Switzerland, North America. It's, it's, it's really has become a sort of uh, hub for people to meet and get to know each other. Now, you mentioned this earlier, but Punch Up right now is or was meeting once a week? Yep. Yeah, once a week, every Sunday. And was it very organized? Like, here's a set curriculum? Or was it more of a open free play? How did it work? I know some of the trainers would ha maybe prefer a set curriculum. But we, we found also that because the, um, the sort of attendance like varies, so sometimes there'll be uh, a class that's more intermediate, 
um, and there'll be a class and then we'll have new people an influx of new people so we basically at the moment we just have one session so we we bundle everyone in together in one session and now we're kind of getting reaching our limit of our capacity of the space then we might have to move to separate sessions etc but um yeah basically we have to sometimes change the lesson plan and tweak it very quickly to accommodate say people who've like you know started from this from you know from nothing basically so we'll what we've done recently is started splitting the group in half and the people who are more at the intermediate level can do like a similar you know set of drills or similar set of combos um but maybe they add like a lot more into it and then literally we'll have a group that's people who have just come for the first time we teach them like you know how to like get into a good stance how to throw like a one-two and kind of work from there so it sounds like there is some kind of lesson plan in mind but based on who shows up, there's a lot of improvisation. And all of the trainers also uh, train at other gyms as well. So they're often bringing in content from their other gyms where, where it'd be like a new, a new drill or a new stretch or some sort of new game or something. Um, and, that's, and then, you know, we have potentially have these two different groups who are like different levels, but then we bring uh, everyone together again for like games that don't really require like uh, loads of skill in the particular thing. So we've got like, we've developed some very, very fun games to play as well, which I've never seen at another gym. I don't know <laughs> if that, that is something that happens, but like, for example, and this is one we picked up from Reading Red Corner is like the glove game where you keep a boxing glove in in your sort of open hand and your your goal is to knock someone else's boxing glove out of their hand and you know it kind of became becomes this sort of tag type game and you can do that in groups you can do that like one-on-one and all this sort of stuff so yeah it does happen not as much i would say it happened a lot more in the past having trained martial arts for so many years i have seen an evolution in how curriculums are created and things are taught and it's gotten a lot better, but then one of the things that's lost is the improvisation and the playful part. So in the past, a lot of it was like the teacher taught whatever they wanted to teach that day. They just made it up. Not meaning they didn't make up the technique. They just made up that day what they wanted to teach. So because it was so improvisational, sometimes they would just decide to play a game. Versus now, uh, there's this emphasis, especially in commercial gyms, to plan a year ahead and have a year-long curriculum which makes people very technical, but then it can become kind of gatekeeping where so much of that improvisation and the fun aspect where that could be accessible to everybody has been removed. And so that's why you don't see it as much anymore. Yeah, and it's a shame really, because sometimes these games can have like super technical benefits as well. Essentially, you know, especially if it's very high energy, you could be working on your cardio, you're working on your footwork and all these sort of things. And you just don't even realize you're learning it. It's kind of standard stuff, really, when it comes to like uh, pedagogy and this kind of thing. Yeah, you see it in the kids' classes still, though. And it's not even about kids. Why do they do it in the kids' classes? Because the kids don't have the ability to do all of the technical skill stuff. So games are more accessible to them. But then that's agnostic to whether somebody's a kid or not. Everybody comes with different levels of accessibility. Everybody comes with different skill sets or athletic abilities. So even for adults, you still should do games. For the same reason you do it for kids, because it creates a bigger access. So what y'all are doing by incorporating games is something that everybody should start doing again. Yeah, and it also, for beginners especially, it helps to release a lot of the tension that you can sometimes get. Like part of the experience of learning a martial art as well is you learn to not be tense until you, you know, maybe until you really need to do something, you know, and because it uses a lot of energy. 
And so uh, one of the benefits about games is for beginners is that you get to release all of that tension they might have been built up while they were working on other stuff um, and just kind of be loose and be free um, with it. Yeah, we find it super valuable. Um, it's interesting you're saying about accessibility because it's also something I'd like to connect with other gyms and and ask about because you know there's many different issues that can come up in a gym space and yeah so one of the accessibility problems we've identified in our gym is that it can be from a sort of set people have sensory needs so for example could be like on the autism spectrum or like people have a variety of sensory needs but obviously like being in a space where people are moving around they're being quite loud you know there's lots of like you know like you know kicking noises and whatnot um and sometimes we've had music on as well just because you know lots of people like to train with music on and whatnot and one one thing we struggled with is just creating this quite difficult sensory environment as well and we haven't really found a way to make that work with our model for example if people are having difficulties with the sensory environment of the gym what would benefit them is maybe like there's less people there there's maybe it could be like a one-on-one session there's no music in the background there's no talking in the background but um we haven't really worked out a way to fit that into our model yet and perhaps in the in the summer that would be easier to do because we can train outside out of all the gyms i've talked to you're the first gym to pinpoint that so i think maybe the reason why other gyms haven't mentioned it isn't because they solved it. They just aren't aware that they have that problem yet. So now that you've mentioned it, I think it's something we all have to think about then and then try to figure out, oh, how do we address this? Because we didn't even know or even consider to think of that as a problem. So not that we're going to figure it out right now, but at least because you're mentioning it, you're acknowledging it. Now we can start the process of thinking about that, about different sensory needs and people who come from... uh different types of trauma, because that could be a trigger, but also different ways their brain works. So like you said, it could be somebody on an autism spectrum. And so different sensory things can be very intense for them as well. So that's something very much we have to consider. And and much as we like to welcome people into the gym and talk to them before they come to their first session, we also like to talk to people who are no longer attending and and try and find out why they're com- not coming anymore and if there's anything we can do to help them. And you know, the majority of the time, the reasons people don't come anymore are totally benign. It doesn't fit with their schedule. They're not not really so into it. They're looking for something else. Um, they might have some like accessibility needs and we'll attempt to address that. But um, that's been really super helpful for us as well. It's just like keeping in touch with people. And some, sometimes people are just moving away. You know, they're moving somewhere else. It's not practical for them to travel so far. Um, I think that's something other gyms, uh, if they're not doing already, should really consider finding out why people are no longer coming. You know, the people who are not there, you know. Yeah, trying to understand what the gym is still lacking, still trying to grow and improve the gym. And also being open to feedback. Yeah, for sure. And and until we got to a bigger group, we used to also have a little uh, meeting at the end of the session. Um, and we still try and do this to a certain extent, but we try and leave the more administrative stuff out of it because it's a bit boring. Um, but we try and at least get how how are you feeling, you know, and kind of go around everyone and say, uh, you know, what did you enjoy and what did you like? And make it so people also can't respond to that as well. So we don't want to really start a discussion. We just want to uh, collectively hear how people are feeling after the session as well. To take part in Punch Up, do you have to be a socialist or is it open to anyone so long as they follow the rules or, as you mentioned, the code of conduct? 
so because we're still quite new, we don't have loads of well, sort of. <laughs> it's a, we're mostly focused on the gym itself, but we um, we don't have loads of written stuff um, going on. So um, yeah, it's sometimes it's a little bit confusing for people, I think, from the outside. Um, but I would say that yeah, it's for everybody who is working class. Um, you know, it's not for people that are not. It's not for bosses. It's not for landlords. It's not for cops. Um, but apart from that, we're really pretty easy. We we hold it. We you know, as long as you follow the rules of the gym. And again, that's one thing that's good about uh, meeting up with them beforehand is we can go over the code of conduct um, and sort of the kind of talk about the history of it and like who it's for and this sort of stuff. But yeah, basically, it's open to anyone. And there's there's such a wide range of people who come to it as well. You know, there's people from all different sorts of leftist tendencies. There's people who are not political. There's people who just like are really interested in like martial arts. They're not really uh, so interested in in like the cooperative elements of it. Um, there's people who are just interested in the sort of uh, politics of it. They're not really so interested in the martial arts. <laughs> they just do it anyway. Um, yeah, it's a really wide rich and from all different sort of backgrounds as well, like all different sort of jobs. You know, there's there's paramedics. There's care workers there's like you know bicycle mechanics there's everything yeah isn't that interesting how a gym can be a big tent umbrella for politics yeah and honestly we just don't really talk about politics that much we we just kind of you know we're much more interested in embodying our politics in how we actually run as a gym like we don't really have political discussions necessarily i mean people do outside you know maybe if the, when we have an event or something like that and it's more of a social thing maybe people start talking about that sort of stuff but I don't know. It just doesn't really f- seem necessary. Like we we organize in a democratic fashion, and and that is the extent of of the politics in practice. You know. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is that I'm not saying that the the gym is explicitly political, but how a gym that is started by political people, just because of the environment they create, it becomes a big tent for people who might not even have necessarily the same politics or people who are apolitical. But even they are looking for something like that. Yeah, and there's some really interesting stuff. I, I think this will probably come up with lots of other gyms as well. Is is like, you know, the environment that you can cr- create like is reflected in the way people's journey through martial arts happens as well. Like recently, we've been doing something where we get even the beginners to start doing some like touch sparring, like very very light, and the trainers will move around and make sure no one's going uh, too hard, and we'll we'll get the intermediate people to to sort of almost spar with the with the new people. Um, but literally kind of, you know, at the touch level, you know, no, it's very unlikely someone's going to get hurt. And we found that, you know, this is often a common problem in other gyms is that beginners are not able to control their level of intensity. <laughs> that kind of comes later as, you know, you, you hear these stories and it's happened to me too, where people are just like going in too hard. And then obviously you have to kind of like return with with a similar level of intensity. But we've actually found once you like clearly verbally you know, let people know and emphasize, you know, it's about keeping your partner safe. You're just practicing your techniques. You, you know, we all know you've got power. You don't need to like show it off. This is about like, you know, your techniques and and learning about how to, you know, use your footwork and stuff like this, that actually people were just like quite autonomously just going about in, in a way that I would consider to be like, you know, reasonable and light and, and having a really good time with it. Because the gym, I think, reveals that even if you're apolitical, you might even be somebody who identifies with something conservative that maybe innately in all of us, maybe not every one of us, but for a lot of us, regardless of where we are in the political spectrum, we want camaraderie, we want to be able to move, and we do kind of want this safe space to be autonomous. 
right? So sometimes like I think some people, their political views don't even align with their personality. That's the whole point of working class solidarity. I think it's understanding that some working class people maybe misguidedly are doing things that isn't necessarily helpful for them. They're picking out the wrong bad guy, as you said, the wrong threat. But the gym kind of reveals like, hey, there is some kind of common thing that brings us all together as working class people. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you just have to look at like the recent elections in in our respective countries as well. You know, there's a lot of people who voted for the Tories, um, the Conservative Party, and there's a lot of people who vote for Trump. And we we can't give up on these people. You know, there's this, they're not bad people inherently. You know, I would argue maybe politically they've become like uh, distracted or misguided from from the reality um, just reality in general, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but like, I'm not giving up on these people. You know, there's lots of people in the UK who voted for the Tories in the last election. There's lots of people who previously would consider themselves more to the left who voted for the Tories and we shouldn't give up on these people. You know, we should show them what it means to be, uh, to have working class solid- solidarity, you know, what it means to have community. You know, people are always complaining, oh, there's no sense of community anymore. There's no, like, you know, people don't know their neighbors, all this kind of stuff. Well, like, you know, I say, fuck that. Let's, there's a reason for that. And it's very advantageous for like rich people to keep us like this, to, to, you know, to make us lose this sense of, of, of solidarity and stuff. And I, I think we can rebuild that. You know, I don't think it's a lost cause at all. I think all these sort of uh, activities that people are engaging in, you know, unions, uh, yeah, community organizing initiatives, you know, uh, community gardens, martial arts gyms, sports gyms, football clubs, it all fits into a wider picture. And that picture is a real awakening of like community solidarity. I think that's why actually, all jokes aside, all the red gyms and the anti-fascist or anti-racist project gyms here in the U.S. and even with our podcast, the reason why we're using these puns is because we don't want to make that mistake of before. We don't want to make the mistakes that unions have where it became completely... It's like a service. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a service. Um, it doesn't mention the political aspects. So even though it is about the community and it is about, let's say, martial arts or training at a gym, we're also kind of putting in the name of the group a nod to say, yeah, it's about fighting, but it's also about this. But we're not going to necessarily make it all about that or put it all in your face, but don't get it twisted. It is still about that, right? And so it's almost like the Red Gyms and all these uh, anti-fascist gyms and my project, your project, we realize the mistakes of the past. And so it's like, we have to make it explicit, but not too much in their face about it. So that we aren't giving up on those types of people, those working class types of people who might be misguided. Yeah, totally. I think that's a really good point. And it's also very interesting as well to see in the current uh, conditions of like pandemic as well is these structures that you build up, whether it be your local renters union or your gym or whatnot, uh, you know, in times of crisis. And, you know, I am an optimist, but like we're going to have a lot more times of crisis in, in the coming years. And, um, you know, these structures, enable, you know, are already there and they enable you to, you know, have that kind of solidarity you need in these times. So, for example, uh, in terms of like the COVID pandemic is like people who have been going to the gym are involved in lots of different other organizations. Um, and also have like I can see that people are organizing in their own areas and people have also leapt into action basically to help coordinate mutual aid in our city. So, for example, like some people who came to the gym have formed a group called Cooperation Birmingham. 
um, and are working on setting up a solidarity kitchen that will deliver like pay what you feel uh, meals to people in self-isolation. Um, there's also uh, some alumni of the gym have got a group called Birmingham Community Solidarity, who have basically been leaping into just uh, coordinating community response and have been doing stuff like collecting food for food banks, connecting people, setting up the Facebook group that, you know, people can join, you know, uh, jumping into all the different WhatsApp groups and helping people coordinate. You've mentioned this already a couple of times, code of conduct. So what are some of the rules of Punch Up? Well, I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but yeah, it's pretty much what you'd find in any sort of organization. It's basically about treating people with respect and like making space for people and, you know, also making space for people to, to uh, make mistakes as well and how, what to do when mistakes are made and what sort of reconciliation can happen within your organization. Um, it's pretty standard stuff, but it's, I think it's important to, to state this stuff. You know, we, we should have some sort of common agreed uh, mutual um, system for how we treat each other, you know. Let's talk about Punch Up then as far as where can people find out more about it on the internet? So hopefully by the time uh, this podcast comes out, we will have a website. That's my bad. Apologize to everyone else in the gym. Um, and we're, we'll be at brumsports.org.uk, um, which will be the general Athletic Community Action Birmingham uh, website. Um, we've also got Facebook as well. So that's facebook.com forward slash Brum Punches Up, um, which is just a... a yeah, Facebook page for our gym. Um, you can also reach out to us via email as well, um, brumsports at riseup.net. And we also encourage any international gyms to to get in touch with us if they, they if anything I've talked about is interesting to you or you have any questions or anything like this. Um, and I'd also like to give a, a quick shout out to uh, some of the uh, COVID mutual aid organizations that have kind of linked to our gym as well. So um cooperationbirmingham.org.uk is another thing you can visit we currently got a fundraiser um and i understand that people all around the world obviously uh are trying to um organize stuff in their local area but if anyone uh has the has the means you can donate to uh our solidarity kitchen project um which uh, when we come out of self-isolation will be happening <laughs> and i'm sure by the time this episode comes out we'll still be in the midst of this pandemic so I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you, Elle, for being on the show and being so generous with your time and explaining how Punch Up works and giving us a look behind how a red gym comes into forming. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute honor to be on this. We're, we're all big fans of the podcast and we, we listen you know, every time there's a new episode. Now that's the show. If you enjoyed this episode and find this type of independent media worthwhile, please consider supporting the show on Patreon. We have a lot more episodes like this one in the works, but need your financial support to keep the show running. Even a few dollars a month goes a long way. No one does what we do, and it's all being funded by you, the listener. In return for supporting us, you'll gain access to lots of bonus content and along with our private Discord chat. Even if you can't support us, there's a lot of free bonus content there as well. We also have an online store if you want to show your Southpaw solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. And if you can't afford to support the show and still want to help, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. This makes it easier for others to find us. 
And don't forget to share your favorite episodes or the podcast itself on social media. Tell your friends. Until next time, goodbye.